Welcome to St. James. I'm glad that you guys are here, and whoever's watching uh, online, I'm glad that you're with us as well. Let's go ahead and begin worship. Will you stand with me? And let's open. The Lord Almighty grant us a quiet night and peace at the last. Amen. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to herald your love in the morning, your truth at the close of the day. You may be seated. Let us confess our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Holy and gracious God, I confess that I have sinned against you this day. Some of my sin I know, the thoughts and words and deeds of which I am ashamed. But some is known only to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask forgiveness. Deliver and restore me that I may rest in peace. By the mercy of God, we're redeemed by Jesus Christ, and in Him we are forgiven. We rest now in His peace and rise in the morning to serve Him. Amen. The Old Testament reading is Jeremiah 31, 31-34. Jeremiah says, uh, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, 
from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pistol reading is from 2 Corinthians 3. Uh, Paul is arguing for his own apostleship in, in 2 Corinthians. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
So not every text in the Bible is equally important. Um, some texts are interesting and uh, fun to talk about, like the text we looked at last Wednesday with the bronze serpent. Uh, it's, it's interesting, uh, but the Bible could exist without that story. Some texts are really obscure, and that, those ones are really fun to talk about too because it's always fun to explore text you're not familiar with. Some texts, though, are just essential. Like if you took it out of the Bible, the story itself wouldn't make sense. And this text tonight, the New Covenant text, is one of those stories. It's, it's all over the place, the New Covenant and the New Testament. And I say it every Sunday during communion. This is the blood of the New Covenant. It goes back to this text here in Jeremiah 31, where uh, Jeremiah tells us that because the Old Covenant has been broken, we need a new covenant. God wants to give us a new covenant. First of all, let me just say this about the covenant, the old covenant. When the Bible talks about old covenant and new covenant, it doesn't mean Old Testament and New Testament. All right. There is grace. The gospel is all the way through the Old Testament. What it's talking about specifically when it talks about old covenant is the Mosaic covenant, which begins in Exodus chapter 20. Not, not from Genesis 1 on but from Exodus 20. The covenant that God made with Moses is what he's talking about. And so let's talk for a little bit about the covenant that God made with his people Moses. This is what, it refers, this is what it's referring to in verse 32. The new covenant is not going to be like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. That's the covenant that God made with Moses. The new covenant's not going to be like that. We talked about the Ten Commandments. I talked about the Ten Commandments with you several weeks ago. And what I, what I wanted to do was to say that the Ten Commandments were God's gracious gift to us. Like God graciously gave us the Ten Commandments. That they weren't some sort of burden. That they weren't some sort of evil test where he said, here's the rules, I know you can't keep them. Now go be miserable. And someday later in the future, a thousand years or so, I'll give you Jesus to make you feel better. Actually, God graciously gave us the Ten Commandments because God, as the designer of the universe, wants to give us the directions so that we can live according to the directions. Things go much better whenever you live according to the directions. I hope that that was motivation to keeping the Ten Commandments or loving the Ten Commandments, loving God's law, that they come not from God's desire to punish us, contra many things that you've heard before uh, from Christian pastors, maybe even uh, me at times, but they come out of God's heart of love for us. That's motivation. Tonight, if we can, let's talk about ability. I didn't talk about our inability to keep the Ten Commandments that night, but I want to talk about it tonight. We, of course, need ability as well as motivation. If you're going to do anything, you have to be motivated and you have to be able. I'm motivated to be a great golfer, but I don't have the ability. I have the ability to have a great lawn, but I have no motivation to do that. I am neither a great golfer, nor do I have a beautiful lawn. If we're going to be good at God's law, we're going to need motivation, which we talked about last time, and ability. And thankfully, the new covenant, as described by Jeremiah here, is God, God's promise to give us the ability to keep his law. I want you to keep in mind as we talk about this that God's law is gracious and good. It's beautiful. It's delicious. It's sweeter than honey. It's precious. It's more valuable than gold. These are all lines from the Psalms, by the way. Don't ever fall back into the old trap of like, oh, the law stinks. We're free from the law. Yeah, that's never the message of the Bible. It might be the message of bad preaching, but it's never the message of the Bible. Keep that in mind. 
And as you keep that in mind, hopefully we'll all be encouraged to want to be able to keep the law because it is beautiful and it is delicious and it is precious. First of all, the problem is not the law. The problem was never the Ten Commandments. There's not something wrong with the Ten Commandments. And there's not something wrong with God. There's something wrong with us. Look at verse 32 again. It's not going to be like the covenant I made with them when I took them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. You see what Moses said, or Jeremiah says there? It's not like a, it's not, the problem with the covenant was not like, oh, the Ten Commandments didn't work. Get rid of that. Now you need Jesus. The problem was that we broke the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are good. We just couldn't keep them. Nor is the problem God. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, it is not that, that's the very last line of verse 32. It is not the case that God was being mean by giving us the law. He, as our husband, was saying, here's how I want you to live in my house. You are married to me now, and here's how I want you to behave. And if you behave like this, our family will be extremely happy. There's nothing wrong with God. There's nothing wrong with the law. There's something wrong with us. The new covenant, let me just make this point real quick, and then we'll move on to the main, uh, main things I want to say tonight. The new covenant is not freeing us from the, is not freeing us from the law. The new covenant is freeing us from the curse, from the burden, from the identity of the law, from the penalty of the law. What the new covenant is going to do, far from freeing us from the law, is empower us to keep the law. Let me show you how. There's three things that God does here, and this, you'll see this on the, in, in the verses here. Three things that God does here to empower us to keep his law. This is what the new covenant is doing. First of all, he uses the power of the Spirit. Second of all, the love of the Father. And then third of all, the redemption of the Son. First of all, the power of the Spirit. Look at verse 33. For this is the covenant. He's describing the new covenant now. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. The new covenant is going to take the law, and it's going to move it off the stone tablets, which are outside of you, and put it inside of you onto your heart. That's what the epistle reading is about. If you can look back over there at 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 3. Paul says, um, you're, a, you're a letter of recommendation from God as our credential, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, verse 3, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. It is the Spirit of God who is written on your heart. The tablets of stone are outside of you. They are directions, but they don't empower you. They don't give you the ability to follow the directions. If you're, coming up, if you're coming up 270 and you want to go to Glen Carbon, it's going to say exit 12. That's good information. It doesn't actually turn your car on to exit 12 for you. If you pass it up, all it does is frustrate you because you missed your exit. The new covenant, though, is going to take that exit 12 sign and it's going to put it on your heart so that your car will, by the power of the Spirit, turn off on exit 12. It will give you the motivation and the ability to turn off on exit 12. That's our problem, isn't it? The problem is not that we need information, but that we need ability. You can, can I talk about uh, piano lessons again? Because I did that last week. You can find books on how to play the piano, and you can find YouTube videos about how to play the piano. Uh, you can go look at those, and th they may or may not be helpful. I have found that stuff like that is never, ever helpful. I picked up a book at uh, Books A Million about 15 years ago on how to play the guitar. And... You know, I, I read it and I tinkered around with it, but I never actually got good at the guitar. You know why? Because what I don't need is information. 
I don't hardly understand the information. It's so much outside of me. What I need when I learned how to play the piano was not a handbook for piano playing. I needed somebody who was good at the piano to sit down next to me on the piano bench and walk through everything with me, adapting her teaching to my needs in that specific moment, something that a book can't do. I needed somebody. I needed a person. That's what you need. If you're going to have the ability to keep God's law, information is not what you need. You need a person to walk you through it. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is a person who walks us through keeping God's law. This is what the Holy Spirit's doing. How do do you get this? First of all, you already have the Holy Spirit, for those of you who are believers. Uh, Second, and i got to say this carefully because some of you are going to be like, wait a minute, works. No, I'm just going to tell you, you need to show up at piano lessons you want to learn how to play the piano. It's not, this is not works. Any more than read your Bible is a work, or come to Holy Communion is a work, or love your brother and sister in Christ is a work. These are all things that the Holy Spirit has to do through you, but if you reject it and you turn away, if you don't show up at piano lessons, you're never going to get, get good at this. The Holy Spirit is active in God's Word and in the sacraments and in community and in works of mercy. Be involved in that, not as a work to earn the Holy Spirit, because that's where the Holy Spirit's at. It's the power of the Spirit that's going to write the law in our hearts. Second thing is, the second thing that gives us the ability to keep the law is the love of the Father, verse 33. Last line again, I will put my law within them, I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is classic covenant language. I will be their God, God says, and you guys will be my people. I will be your God, and you will be my people. God says. This is motivation. This is moving back and forth between ability and motivation now. We Christians don't like the law because we don't grasp that the God who gave us the law loves us. This is it. We don't like the law because we don't believe that God loves us. We believe that God forgives us. I was uh, talking to uh, uh, Chuck and Larry today when we were doing the podcast, actually and talked about the difference between a traffic cop who pulls you over, writes you a ticket, and then you pay off the ticket, or you say, I'm sorry, I won't do that again. And the cop says, okay, I'm not going to give you the ticket this time, and then pulls away. You've been forgiven in a certain sense, but do you love that cop? I mean, you might be grateful on a certain level, but do you love that cop? No, you don't. You don't care. All you tell yourself is, "I I hope that doesn't happen again. I hope I learn my lesson. And the problem with a lot of us who are Christians who don't love the law is because we think of God as a traffic cop who has decided in his traffic cop mercy not to give us a ticket this time. I'm going to let you guys get away with it. What God wants you to see is that he's not a traffic cop. He is not primarily the eternal judge. He is not even primarily eternally and infinitely holy. He is primarily and from eternity Father. And he wants to have a father-child relationship with you. He doesn't want to just forgive you of your sin. This isn't a legal transaction. He wants sons and daughters. This is a great line in uh, the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis, where a screw tape, the head demon, says, in contrast to what the demons want to do with people, he says, We want cattle that we can turn into food. He wants servants that he can turn into sons and daughters. That's what God wants. He wants us to be his children. Now, let me ask you this it's all about relationship. If I come up to you and I say to you, hey, hey, can you give me a ride home after church tonight? 
how would you respond compared to if you walked out to your car and a perfect stranger came up out of the park across the street and said, hey, you don't know me. Can you give me a ride? What would be the difference in your response? Well, I'd like to pretend that you would be, if I asked you for a ride, everybody in here, well, who can drive, would say, oh, absolutely, for sure. But if some guy came walking up out of the park at night and asked you for a ride, I'm going to guess that most of you would say no, or you would say yes, but you would do it with certain qualifications in your mind, and you'd be very nervous about it. What's the difference? When somebody that you know and, I hope, loves asks you for something, it's easy to say, oh yeah, I can do that. When somebody that you don't know and are suspicious of asks you for something, it's easy to say, I'm not sure about that. I want you to think for a second, why is it that when God gives us his law, that our response is, I don't know, I'm not sure about that. Here's all I'm saying is that if that's the case, it's because we do not know him. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm saying you have not yet grasped that he is your father who wants to love you as his daughter or his son. You're still thinking of him as the strange cop who's out to kind of get you. So you better be careful. Now, if you speed, he's a merciful cop. He won't charge you the ticket, but he's still just a cop. I don't have any rules for you to how to grapple with this, except for try to start... First of all, just read the story. Read the story. We talked about this, uh, Chuck and Larry and I talked about this today. When our creeds describe God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they start off by describing God as not... We don't say, I believe in God the Almighty One. We don't say, I believe in God the Holy One. We don't even, first of all, say, I believe in God the Creator. We say, I believe in God the Father. That's who He is. He's your Father. And, And when you grasp that, you will learn to love, like David what he wants you to do. Just like you would love it if I asked you to give me a ride home. It's the love of the Father. So first of all, the power of the Spirit. Second of all, learn to live in the love of the Father. And then last of all, in the redemption of the Son. Verse 34, last line. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. As much motivation as you have, as much ability as the Father and the Spirit are working up in your heart and in your actions and in your mind and in your words you still are not going to be good at keeping the law. And what you need ultimately at the end of the day is somebody to forgive you. What do you do when you're not good at something and the pressure's on to be good at something? If you're like me, you fold. I read the law and it makes me nervous. Like when I have to carve the turkey or a chicken and people stand around and watch and I'm not any good at carving poultry and it just drives me nuts. It makes me actually mess up even more than if nobody was in there. Sometimes that's how I feel about the law. I'm trying to do it, but like, there's this burden that you should be doing this. What I need, ultimately, along with the power, none of these is like, none of these, these are not mutually exclusive. This isn't three stages in learning to be a lover of the law. This is three spokes on the same wheel. The power of the Spirit, we need the love of the Father, but we need our sins forgiven. We need the redemption of the Son. God liberates us from the pressure of keeping the law by promising that he forgives his sins. If I know that I don't have the pressure of keeping the law because I've been graciously forgiven, that empowers me more to keep the law. If you would just walk out of the kitchen and let me carve the chicken in peace, I could do a much better job of it. And that's kind of what God gives us. 
I'm forgiving you. I am not here to pressure you. I am here to love you as your father. I'm here to empower you as your spirit. I'm here to forgive you as your brother Jesus. That should liberate us to keep the law. Jesus does this with his death and resurrection. He entirely wipes out our sins so that he does not think of them. Check out that last line one more time. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That's not just forgiveness. I will remember their sin no more. Do you know why God doesn't bring your sin up to your account? Because he can't even think about it. He doesn't even remember it. How does he do that? He does that with the death and resurrection of his son. When Jesus dies and rises from the dead, it wipes out your entire record because you have died and risen from the dead with him. How does this work? Well, this is much too complex for me to break down on a Wednesday evening service or even in a lifetime of Wednesday evening services. But let me just give a little bit of a hint, and this doesn't capture the whole thing, but maybe this captures a little bit of it, maybe. Let's imagine that somebody that you know and love insulted you in some way. They said something bad about you. You knew about it. Maybe they got angry at you. They they snapped at you. Maybe you found out that they were talking bad about you. And you're kind of burnt. Your, Your feelings are hurt and you're kind of angry. And then you find out that they die. Some sort of tragedy, some sort of sudden death. And you had no chance. They had no chance to come to you and make it right. And then, let's say that you found out that through some record-keeping quirk or through some miracle, through some mistake, they hadn't actually died. You thought they had died. You were mourning. And then it turns out that they hadn't really died. When you see them next, are you going to say, is the first thing that you're going to say to them, are you going to say, why did you say that about me? No, you're not going to think about that at all. The joy of having lost them and got them back is going to wipe out their sins in your mind. Why does the father and the prodigal son not stand at the gate waiting for the prodigal son to come and say, did you blow all my money? What do you got left there? You got any change? Why doesn't he say that? Well, he tells the older brother, because this your brother was lost and is found. He was dead and now he's alive. That's who you are in Jesus Christ, by the redemption of Jesus Christ, by the power of his death and resurrection. You were lost and now you're found in Christ. You were dead and now you've made alive again. And your brother Jesus looks at you and he doesn't care about any of that other stuff. He's just glad that he has you back. That's the redemption of the Son. These three things, power of the Spirit, love of the Father, redemption of the Son. That's the new covenant that you and I live in. Let's embrace it. Let's learn to to soak in it so that it creates in our heart a desire to be who he wants us to be, to love him like he loves us by the power of his Spirit and through the redemption of his Son. Stand with me and let's pray. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. In righteousness I shall see you. When I awake, your presence will give me joy. Be present, merciful God, and protect us through the hours of this night so that we who are wearied by the changes and chances of life may find our rest in you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Taught by our Lord and trusting his promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit bless you and keep you. Amen. Thank you.